I mean, they just trusted you with their child, so shape up, okay? All right. We're going to continue in our worship by a time of offering, and before we do that, I just want to call out the obvious. What a world we live in this week. Fires raging all around us. I'm, I'm certain that that is touching so many of you, either by friendship or family, either fighting or evacuated. We're very aware of what's going on in Turkey and the Kurds. We have our own team near those places right now. And so as we begin to pray for offering, I'm just going to give you a few moments in silence to pray for the areas of brokenness in the world that are on your heart right now, and then I'll lead us in a time of prayer for our offering. I'll invite the ushers forward, and let's begin to pray. Father, what's clear to me this week is that your church matters right now. It always has. But in our lifetime, this moment that each one of us is alive, there is a world in great need. And Father, I pray, we pray together as just one expression of your church here at Lake Avenue, that as we give now in our offering in our attempt of being generous people. Father, that you would use this offering and use this congregation to speak the name of Jesus in this world and to speak the healing name of Jesus in this world. Well, you've called us to so many things, Lord, so many places, so that even when the news hits, we always seem to have someone near or in and so we pray for those in our congregation affected by the fires or fighting these fires. We pray for our team in Lebanon as they travel home soon, that they would get home safe. But we pray for war-torn conflict. Father, we are a pro-life church and all of human life matters. And so wars grieve us. And we ask that you would protect human life that you would save us, humankind, from our desire for violence and death. And may the healing, restorative, life-giving name of Jesus be proclaimed loudly around your, all of your creation on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Only one who could ever say, 
worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and hear wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Would you sing along with us? Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you love and fill me with your heart and lead me. Give your love to those around. We sing holy, holy. There is no one like you. There is
Churches, uh, the musicians are exiting. I'm going to just stay for a moment uh, because I want to I want to teach you. I know um, I know some of that song may have been new uh, for some of you. And I have another one, which is sort of against the rules. Uh, but um, but the Lord put something on my heart this week and it was reflecting on this season that we're in, reflecting on um, this passage that, that Pastor Jeff is speaking on this morning and really thinking about the, the hymn, take, take My Life and Let It Be, that we're going to respond with. And um, what I did is uh, I made these, these words, take my life and let it be, instead of singing it as an individual, um, I changed it so that it's singing it as, as a community. So it's take our lives and let them be. And uh, I tweaked some of those words, uh, but a, a refrain, um, a, a sort of a new chorus to the hymn came to my mind. And we're going to sing it at the end of the service. And I thought we'd take a moment to, I, that, to teach it to you now so that when we get to the end of the service, you know it maybe. So um, this is new. Um, I wrote it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, if you don't like it, you can blame somebody else. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> No, it'd be my fault. Uh, but it goes like this, and it declares that we belong, all of us. The, hymns, the, the hymn walks through everything, every part of our bodies even, that, that we say take them. And it declares that we belong. This declares that we belong. All of us belongs to God. So it goes like this, and I'll let you try it. We belong to All we have and all we are for your work and for your glory. We belong to you, our Lord. Take our hearts and every need. Take our lives and let them be forever yours. You want to try that with me? We belong to you, our Lord. Take our hearts, take. I gotta get the words right. <laughs> Let's try it again. We belong to you, our Lord. All we have, all we have, and all we are for your work. We belong to you, our Lord. Take our hearts and every need. Take our lives and let them be forever yours. I think you can do it. Let's try one more time. We belong to you, our Lord. All we have, all we are, for your work and for your glory, we belong to you, our Lord. Take our hearts and every need, take our lives and let them be. Try it again at the end of the service. 
Thanks, Jer. I mean, look, my favorite part of that, and I hope there's a teaching moment there, I hope we can all say, so in my time with Jesus this week, here's what happened. Thank you for modeling that, Jeremy. So this week, uh, it was Tuesday, Tuesday morning, and I'm just telling a story not to give you more of my life, but um, I teach a ministry class at APU, just one class, don't worry, I'm not double dipping. Um, and I have an older student in my class, and he asked to talk to me afterwards, and he looked very serious, and I had two thoughts. One, I don't have time for this today, and two, I wonder what it is. Was it a grade? Was it an assignment? And, and so I waited, and after class, we're walking to my car, and he lets me know. He was in the military. He's going back to school. He's in his 30s. He's an amazing man. He said, I just want to let you know, uh, my wife and I, are expecting our first child. And then he said, so, pastor, because I won't let him call me professor, pastor, I want your immediate response. I want to hear what you, what, what's the first thing on your mind. And I said, well, first, congratulations. Being a dad is incredible. It's awesome. However, life as you know it is over. There is something that has changed and is changing, and it is a dramatic change. You will never be the same. You will never live the same, because this baby is going to come into your life and your family, and it's going to reorient everything. There's no turning back. And he cried. Um, That conversation, because sometimes these life-changing moments, these reorientation moments are very positive, like in the coming of a child. Sometimes they come in, in such a different, the loss of a child, or something unexpected, but we always are living in such a way that at any moment, everything can change in a way that the, you can never live the same. There's no turning back. We are coming to a point in the book of Acts, and we are coming to a point in this sermon series where I just need to warn you, everything's about to change. I mean, it's been really wonderful until now. I, I loved, I mean, honestly, if you were here last week, you need evidence that God is working in this church. Thank you, Pastor Chuck, for your leadership and wisdom last week. And it was wonderful to pray together. And it's an easy message to hear about waiting because it allows us to have intimacy with Jesus, something we crave, quite honestly. It's lovely to get messages about prayer because it reminds us who's in charge and who does the work, and it disempowers our individualism. It's wonderful to be reminded of the power of God through Holy Spirit who descended on this first community. But we're transitioning in the next few weeks about how this all changes the way we live. And we're not going to be stuck in rooms waiting for the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be just clumped up in rooms praying together. Now there's some actual change that has to happen. There's actual tension that happens in the early church that we have to wade through and look at. And there's no turning back in this series. There's no turning back with the people of God at this point. And one could argue that because they didn't turn back, because they were faithful, that we are sitting here today. 
Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We'll begin in Acts chapter 4, verse 42, and then we are going into chapter 5, verse 11, because it's all connected, and hopefully you'll agree with me at the end of our time. Starting in verse 32 of chapter 4, all the believers were in were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, in, in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Here we go, chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. You can pause there. That's a really loving pastor, isn't he? Um, at that moment, she fell down at his feet, and he died. And the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, uh-huh, have a seat. <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> All right, we got to do some work here. So let's get, up, let's get up to speed. You recall the first sermon series, we talked about the book of Acts having, we come at it from both a prescriptive reality and a descriptive. So when we read the scriptures, do we come to hear uh, God describe through his word the way something was at one point in time and it might not have as much of a connection to us today? Or do we come to scripture sometimes from a prescriptive point of view? Read something and believe that whatever it's teaching actually has something to say to us today. And, and there's different moments and different times based on the genre and what God is communicating. You know, for instance, just to make this one clear, we can't read all the promises made to Israel and insert ourselves into that. That was a very specific promise. Now, we can learn all kinds of things, true things about God. But the United States of America is not Israel. Israel is Israel in the Old Testament. So that would be a descriptive. We get a descriptive of Israel, and we can learn a lot about God. But the instructions to Israel, um, literally, I mean, we'd have to go back to the land. And that's the tension in a text like today is, 
is can something be prescriptive? I've told you we're only looking at biblical texts that I believe are prescriptive, that they have something to say to you and to me in, in, in today in, at Lake Avenue Church. These messages aren't for any other church. They're for us. We've titled the series, This Is Us. And so we come to a prescriptive text like this that's pretty heavy and intense, and the question becomes around this idea of literally. This is a tension for people who hold the word of God as our authority in life, is when is the Bible literally speaking and, and we're to, to live it out literally? I mean, if we were to take this literally, some of you are panicked and you're wondering where this is going. That I'm, I'm going to tell you to go home and sell your property and bring all your money from your sale and place it at the feet of the ministry council of Lake Avenue Church. That would be a literal reading of this without some work. Some of you are worried that maybe is Jeff really going to go there and ask us, look at our offerings in future weeks, and go, is that, is that really? Is that all? Is that all you said you were going to give? And then I've got people in the wings ready to carry out dead bodies around here. So this tension of how we hold the word of God to be our authority, to let it be prescriptive to us, to teach us, to have something to say to us how we live today, and then this tension of the literal reality. I think there is some literalness in this text for us. I think it is completely prescriptive. So I, as though I've given you a way, I, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about selling your particular properties, bringing the profits. I'm not going to ask you, as Peter asked you, to try to trick you. So you can breathe easy, but I don't want you to breathe too easily because this is a sharp story. Remember, remember, no turning back. This is a call, there is a call from these verses that are costly, just as costly for you and for me. They're radical and frankly, they're just as needed for the church today, I believe, for this church. The title of our sermon is Generosity for All. So you've figured out where this is going you can see that what we're going to be looking at is to explore what kind of generosity marked this early church, this first spirit-filled community. There's been none like it in the scripture yet. This is the first church that is empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit. And so how they lived and the words that we have, they matter to us because they give us a glimpse, maybe not of literal things we need to do, but of the kinds of ways that the people of Jesus have lived from day one. So there's at least, we're going to get to all of it. Don't worry, we're going to get to the death and Ananias and Barnabas, but the majority of this sermon is looking at the first five to six verses in which there's at least five expressions, five expressions of generosity that I think each one of us need to see in the text and really contemplate where we are in our understanding of this kind of generosity. And the first one, the first expression in the earlier church, I'm calling it solidarity. First half of verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. Uh, the world that you and I live in, this feels impossible. And I, I would even tell you to think that there would be a day where I would say, Lake Avenue Church, where we're all in one heart and one mind, that can feel very unrealistic for us. But I want to remind you of where we've been. Last week, Pastor Chuck, we looked at the prayer and listened to the prayer just a few verses early, earlier in verse 29. The, the, the church is praying. Now, Lord, 
Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The book of Acts is loaded with signs and wonders, but I think what we have read with the idea of all the believers being in one heart and one mind is the first real blow-away miracle in the book of Acts. Because it's only God that can create a group of people to say we were one in mind and one in heart. A group of different people from different backgrounds, cultures, families, and then rebirthed into this new family, a new community, and one of some level of solidarity. And I picked that word very specifically because the word unity isn't really working for me these days. It's a, it's a loaded term because you and I live in a world that is much more eager to talk about our differences than we are about our commonness. And solidarity as a word talks about a commonness, that a group of people that are different can come together and, and be more identified by what they have in common than being led out by what they have in disagreement. I mean, we, we can't even have George Bush and Ellen DeGeneres go to a football game without the world exploding. Because that shouldn't be. Uh, they can't be in unity. They can't be friends. They're just polar opposites. How can that be? And people from all kinds of perspectives and communities connected to both of them are crying foul. Because this is the world we live in. We live in a world, and brothers and sisters, it's crept into the church that we're much more eager and excited to talk about how we're different in our approaches to life, the world, politics, than we are to come under the commonness as the early church because what this group of people had in common was that they had just met Jesus Christ. They had given their lives to, the, to Jesus and now they're people of the way. They've been baptized. They're now in this new family and from the very beginning, we see that they had something deep in common, and that was Jesus. Now, let me be very, very clear. Difference is incredibly important. Disagreement, I think, is incredibly important. We're going to see that throughout this series. It's critical for the people of God in the book of Acts to work through these differences and to see the uniqueness of the kinds of people who are in the church and around them, and we're going to have to work through that in coming weeks. So I am not suggesting that somehow to be in one heart and one mind meant that this group of people saw everything the same and it was some kind of perfect Christian, Jesus-centered utopia where there was no conflict, where everybody just loved each other and squeezed each other's hands at night. I don't think that's what the message is here, but, it's, but what we have here is at the very beginning, the, peop, the people of God were, were loud and known for what they had in common in their faith in Jesus, their saving grace of Jesus, their baptized faith in Jesus, and that was louder than any secondary differences, secondary identity issues. So there's a call on you and me to think about the question for us as a church, how's our solidarity? How's our commonness? I think there's something already for us. We're not even halfway through the first verse, and I think the Holy Spirit's speaking to some of us. That we need to grow in becoming a group of people and a church 
that is really, really excited about identifying our commonness in Jesus as a primary source of identity rather than declaring the difficulty of our differences as a primary source of our identity. I love what we say. I love it. I love that we are a church of, from people from all kinds of political spectrums. I love that we're a church of, of the nations. I love that we are a church of rich and poor. I love that we are a church of, of, of every kind of ethnicity and people group in this region. I love all that, but it's not enough to just declare all of our differences if we're not working on becoming a common group of people that have a solidarity as the people of God in the name of Jesus. And so be ready, church. Be ready that we're not going to go through, we are not, we are not going to go through another election cycle just saying, everybody disagrees at Lake Avenue Church. We're going to have to actually talk. We're going to actually have to come together and pray together like we did last week and ask the Lord to bind us together as his people across our differences that our commonness would be louder. So the first thing we need to see in this text I'll remember you clapped and when you send me an email in six months on that. <laughs> Solidarity, number two. Let's keep moving. This is so good. Radical attitude. Listen, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. This is a changed group of people. They have become something new, a new family. Their worldview has changed. They have a new way of thinking about everything, and specifically, we can see that they have a different way of thinking about their stuff, about their possessions. There's been a reordering for them. The text tells us they no longer saw their stuff as their stuff. They saw it as a, as a we, as a communal kind of reality, that their things were for the community and to be generously shared. This should be a high call on us. I think we can take this one literally. I think as a follower of Jesus, there is part of the English language that should be very difficult for us, much more difficult than it is. And it's the use of the personal pronoun. Words like I, words like mine, me. These have to be words that we struggle with as followers of Jesus, especially when it comes to the way we view things and possessions. Our homes, my money, my stuff, this is what I'm harping on with my boys. Yes, I know it's yours, but it's not yours. It's mine. That's a joke. I think this first church communicated a kind of radical attitude that is needed for us today because they were able to see their stuff as from God and for one another. So when it comes to your home, I know that the title on your home has you and your spouse's name on it. I know that your car title or your lease paperwork has your name on it. I understand that your bank account has your name on it, but don't be fooled. God has given you all of that, yes, to enjoy but also to hold as lightly as you can so that you can give it away as freely as this church did. And that is a radical way of living. And it is so radical, it is so hard. And I'll talk for a moment, but if 
we can just get disrupted from this radical call on our lives, then our witness and mission in this world can be compromised. So I want you to see, God has given you and me everything to enjoy, but to hold lightly and to give away as we can. Solidarity, radical, radical um, attitude. Number three, bold witness. This is inserted right here in the middle, with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, we are going to have a whole message on this coming up. So, so don't, don't think I'm not making a big deal of this. We're giving a whole weekend to this in the book of Acts. What I want you to see is from the very beginning that the community, the spirit-filled community, did not just have an insular kind of commitment to one another. Yes, they did. They shared their things. They had a common identity, but it wasn't to pull away from the unbelieving world. They came together to live in such a way, but their bold witness always was about out there. Now, so, so we have to understand that, that part of being the church of Jesus isn't that we pull away from the world and create our own kind of enclave, because all of that out there, let's just share our stuff, have our common identity, we'll just kind of live uniquely by ourselves. No, the early church did all that, but continued to have a bold witness out there. The, the spirit-filled community didn't just set up shop with one another without being committed to the mission that God gave them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will become my witnesses in all these places. So there's this tension. Yes, there's this communal way of living. There's an us-ness. This is us as the people of God. But our us-ness is always connected to people who aren't a part of us yet, declaring the name of Jesus and having a bold witness to bring the name of God to this world. So there is always, there always has been, and I pray there always will be at this church, an out-there reality to our in-here time. So, so when you go to lunch today, the way you treat the person who waits on you is an out there opportunity to be the name of Jesus to someone. When, when, when your neighbor down the street's dog is in your front yard and that bothers you and you have this human reaction inside of you, the way you handle that and greet and have compassion and kindness, that's a way of being out there kind of Christian. It's not just an in-here type moment. It's an out-there reality. Bold witness is always a part of it. So we have a group that had solidarity, a group with radical attitude, a group that was committed to bold witness, and number four, a group with sacrificial actions. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Now from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. So now let's deal with this. This is that, that tension we have with the literal reading sometimes. So if it's not literal, Jeff, if we're not supposed to sell our homes, what, what is in here? I want to I point out a couple of things. One, I want you to note when it says there were no needy persons among them. I think there's something in here we need to see that this first spirit-filled community lived in such a way that the people within the community, their needs were taken care of. And I think that tells us something, something significant about life on earth. That our human needs, that our human experience, that our human flourishing, these things matter to God and they matter to the church. 
So we are not a group of people who minimize the earthly experience and say, well, it'll all get better in heaven one day, so just suck it up with your need. No, 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 no. This was a group of people that was able to declare no one had a need among them, which means that the needs among them mattered. Mattered to God, mattered to the church, and their needs being met was significant. It values the human experience. It doesn't minimize it for some heaven one day. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, see, too long for too many years, the church has this idea that we're just kind of waiting on time till we get to heaven one day, and all this is just kind of to be endured. No, no, it's to be enjoyed. And flourishing in the human experience matters. So I want you to see, sacrificial actions were so that there were no needy persons among them. They took the needs of the church seriously. And second, notice this from time to time. Those who owned. So there's a, this isn't a rule. This wasn't a mandate. I mean, not everybody owned property, so it can't be a rule for everybody to sell what they have. It's a declarative, reflective statement that God's spirit was so powerfully among them that from time to time, there's some pretty radical stuff that happened, some real sacrificial actions, because there were times when people, don't worry, I'll get to Ananias, where people sold their property and they brought all the proceeds to the church. And if you've been following Jesus for any length of time and you've trusted him with your money, you know that God still works that way. See, from time to time, from time to time, I came into some money that we weren't needing or expecting, and so from, from time to time, there was an opportunity that came across my mind or that the church talked about, and I wanted to, I felt the Lord leading me to participate. There's this occasional reality of extra generosity that's part of the marker for the people of God. It's not a requirement for being in the community. So you can breathe deeply. But you're not off the hook. Because there is something in this reality of sacrificial action that takes about one second to understand and a lifetime to actually live out. And it's this, and here we go. Did you know that followers of Jesus, Christians, are to be generous and to give their money? This is the truth. We see it over and over in the scriptures. Again, in the book of Acts, we're going to see a connection between economics and faith. This isn't the message where we're going to get into the specifics of how a follower of Jesus is to view and use and percentages and all of that. But I want you to know that if you're not, if you're, the way you view, use, and give money is not connected to your faith in Jesus, I'll be very clear, you're not living as God has called you. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And my question, I am, I am not interested in guilt at all. I'm really quite free in this moment. Have you ever trusted the Lord in this way yet? Do you have the practice of faith, of giving regularly and generously? If anything, this new community was so regular in their giving that the generous stuff is what got recorded. Have you found this rhythm? And I got to tell you, for me and Jenny, learning how to give, the way we view our things, Trying to be generous people has been the single most largest piece of fruit of our discipleship journey at this church. She wouldn't let me do it, but another sermon I'm going to. 
I'm tempted to show you very clearly on the screen how much money we make, our expenses, how we view our money, how the money has shelled out, what we save, what we give, the people we partner with. And some of you are freaking out because we have a pronoun problem. It's too personal. No, no, that's actually the kind of bluntness that was required for Jenny and I to grow in our faith. That's the kinds of conversations that we've had with many of you over the years to help us understand how you actually honor God with your resources. So it's not too private. It's not too personal. And I need to let you know the reason I want to show you all those things is because I think we can grow as a church. There's room for many of us to give more than we are, to trust more than we are, and to allow for more resources to come into this church for his ministry to declare his name. So I, I got to tell you, I'm not telling you this to cause any kind of guilt. I say this as a pastor, as your pastor who knows how fulfilling and free life becomes when you actually worship God and allow him to direct all of your finances. There is a joy that comes as we honor how God calls us to live. And I got to tell you, our financial reality, you're already still uncomfortable, I'm fine. Our financial reality has changed dramatically in the last month. My wife's worked part-time for most of our time with children. She went back to work full-time, more money. You may not know this, but thank you. You gave me a raise this, this last month for the job I have. Thank you. So, oh, but I tell you this because our, 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 our financial situation has changed pretty dramatically in a month. And yes, I, there are things I've thought about, trips that I hope we can take with the boys, some annoying things I want to get done on our house, some realities of what all this extra, now there's more money. But I'll be so super honest with you that the first two things when we first talked about it, the first two things that came to mind, I am not lying. I'm, reaching a, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a sermon about somebody who lied to the church and was struck dead. I'm very aware. There were two words that came to mind when Jenny and I first sat and talked about this change of our fine, and they both start with G. One, I can get guacamole whenever I want at Chipotle. <laughs> That's expensive, and it's really good. And, and I have to save up for that when we go to Chipotle. No, not anymore, I'm getting it whenever I want. I'm getting guacamole whenever I want. I work hard, I'm getting the guacamole. And second was the word giving. There's been a number that we've been praying for for years to reach in our giving to Lake Avenue Church. And not only did the Lord allow us to reach it, but to surpass it. There's been a dream of ours to start partnering with stars in a more significant, regular way. And the Lord has provided opportunity for us to do that. There are things that we have already made. I have no plans for the changes on my house built, b being built. I have no plans for the, the cool things we can do, but we've already taken action. I had guacamole last night at Chipotle, and we've already directed our giving. Because when you trust the Lord with your money, you see how he provides over and over again. And living lightly, <laughs> sacrificial actions, they were hard at first. When we were making no money and we looked at that percentage and went, how are we going to do it? But I'll tell you, there's a joy and I think there's room for many of us to grow. Now, connected to this sacrificial action is one very unique reality of the early church is our final expression, and it's look at the prioritization of the poor. The prioritization of the poor and those in need. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, 
in a few chapters, we're going to see a distribution problem. And it's going to speak to us. This is another longer message that's coming about the priority of the poor, the priority of those in need, the priority of the widow. We're going to get there. But from the very beginning, one of the ways they talked about themselves as a church isn't what they, again, everybody just had enough to eat, but they actually had a system. They had a way of getting this money and then distributing out according to what the needs were and that the poor have always mattered to the people of God very specifically. We give to God so they can be given right back out to those in need and for ministries and to build a a, a church and to disciple a people in such a way that more can go out to those in need. Now, what follows are two stories. One is is a one-verse story about Barnabas, and then we have an 11-verse story in Ananias and Sapphira, and they're both illustrations. They're both narratives to capture what we've just talked about. The early church was this, these, these at least five different expressions of what, how they were. And now we get these two follow-up stories. Before we get to the follow-up stories, let me say, as a p- way of application, I think there's two kinds, of, two kinds of people that the Holy Spirit's speaking to right now. Some of you need to loosen up your grip on your stuff. And some of you need to start tightening up your grip on Jesus. Some of you, your grip is way too tight. You need to loosen up your grip. You have a pronoun problem. Everything's yours. Money, control. This even shows up in the way we talk about our ministry at Lake Avenue Church. It's my ministry. If I'm interviewing anybody for a job at Lake Avenue Church and they say my ministry, it's, it's like a veto. Done. I can't handle it. The way we even talk about what we do at Lake Avenue Church, there's so much ownership to that that we have a pronoun problem. And I think we need to just loosen the grip a little bit and understand that everything we have is from God and it's to be held lightly, not held tightly. Some of you need to loosen up your grip. We have too tight a grip, and I think that's at at the core an identity problem, that you really don't know who you are and whose you are if you're holding on to yourself and to your stuff. Loosen up. Some of you need to tighten up. Some of you don't even have a grip. It's non-existent. So your commitment to a spirit-filled community just flows in and out. Maybe this weekend, maybe here, maybe somewhere else, maybe here for a while until they say something I don't like, and then I'll go over here. Uh, I think there's, there's some pretty tight commitments happening in this early church. Some of us need to tighten up. And I'm going to pry for a moment. Some of you haven't even begun the journey of trusting Jesus with your money. I had Linda give me a really quick stat. of the giving units at Lake Avenue Church give $1,000 or less a year. Now, here's what that tells me. Um, It tells me, one, there are many, one of two realities. There are more poor among us than we know about, and I have to tell you, we need to walk with you better because we're not talking about 55% of you. So I believe within that 55%, there are some real needs here, and we can't help meet your needs if we don't know what you need. But I also don't think 55% of you are that poor. So that tells me that we have room to grow with our financial faithfulness. Some of you, maybe you're holding tightly to your money as some kind of vote. I don't know. I don't know where Lake's going to go. I'm going to hold back until I'm sure. We'll get to Ananias in a moment. (laughs) You're giving 
When you view your giving as something you control or some kind of vote of confidence, I got to tell you, I think this is dangerous thinking. Messes up the pronouns, puts yourselves in the middle of some kind of ultimate authority. So brothers and sisters, we need to grow. A lot of us want to grow. We want more people in the pews. And I'm saying we need to grow in our hearts and our trust of the Lord just as well. And so this tightening up, this loosening up, we're each in a different place there, but I believe the Spirit's speaking to some of you. So let's get to these illustrations because they speak to this kind of me-centered, non-trust of the community, trying to control my life. We get two stories. We get an example of faithfulness and foolishness right next to each other. So very briefly, Barnabas gets one verse. We're going to meet, this is where we meet Barnabas, and he's going to be a real big player later in the book of Acts. He's amazing. But all we get is he actually lived the way that the community lived. So he sold some property and brought the money. It's an example of faithfulness. It's to let us know this was not just idealistic, um, um, retroactive thinking about how wonderful the church was one day. They did all these wonderful things. It's a testimony. It says, oh, there was a person who, I re- who actually did it. And you can meet him. His name is Joseph, also known as Barnabas. So we get one verse to go, this actual way of living was possible. Look at a man who was faithful. And then we get, oh, these two. Ananias and Sapphira. A startling story. One that caused fear within the community. Fear in the book of Acts. And at some level should mark a little bit of fear in us today. But I want you to note something before we go here. Note Peter and his ability to confront I mean, I made a quip during the reading, what a pastor. And then there's part of me that goes, man, what a pastor. He, 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 he went there. He confronted a way of living that was inconsistent with the way the, the church was. So note the role of conflict. That's probably another sermon or a cup of coffee. But, but we can't look at what happens and not see Peter and his ability to confront Ananias and Sapphira. So here's how the story goes, and we have a lot of fill in the blanks with it, but in essence, the picture we get is that Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, and it's most likely that they they said they were going to bring all the proceeds. Hey, Barnabas did it, we're in too. So they had declared, they had sent something from the Lord, we're going to do what the people have done from time to time, occasional, count us in, in that select group of above and beyond. And then before they were to bring the money, they held back for themselves and then tried to come across as people who gave it all. So they held back for themselves and then tried to pretend and lie to God and lie to the church that they actually did what they said they were going to do. And this goes to the literal. If we don't give the money to God, is he going to kill us? I think there's probably been plenty of sermons that have been preached along this line. This is a story about honesty and deception. I think there's two mo- movements of foolishness specifically we can see. One, you cannot deceive the Holy Spirit. Ananias was lying to the Lord. We can see that. Peter confronts him. You, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Why are you doing such a foolish thing? The Holy Spirit directed him to live a certain way and to obey him, and he held back and he was disobedient, but then he tried to lie. It seems that we see someone who's trying to come off as more faithful than they actually are, more mature than they actually are. Maybe they sat 
in, in their, with their shoulders up in church or in the community. We're one of the select who sold our property. But down deep, they didn't really do it. And what Peter points out, what the story points out, is that you cannot deceive God. So be honest. I mean, if God's directed you to do something, you're not going to do it, I think it's better to say, no, God, I'm not going to do it than to come across as if you've done it. The other piece of foolishness, not only you can't deceive the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't really pay off well to be dishonest in the church. There's dishonesty within the community, Sephira. See, same kind of dishonesty. This time, this time there's this lying to the church directly, to, the, to Peter directly. With an opportunity to tell the truth, she chose to lie. Why was she holding back? We don't know. Probably fear, mistrust. So the sin in this story wasn't that they didn't bring all their money. It's because they weren't obedient. They lied to the Lord. They lied to the church. The Lord had led them to live a certain way. And they gave lip service publicly that, yes, we're going to do it, but inwardly they hid. They were dishonest to God in the church. They tried to come across as faithful. They traded. Let's go back to verse 32. They traded their solidarity. They traded the radical attitude of the community for themselves, individualism. They traded sacrificial actions of the community and they kept for themselves. They traded the distribution of money for those in need and said, my needs, my hoarding, my priorities, my comfort is more important than everyone else's. They made a movement that was about a we into a moment about themselves. So this remains a strong story, not because of the money per se, but because of two realities that each one of us still have to deal with today, is that you and I are still tempted to deceive, to try to deceive the Lord. I'm not that rich, or I'm not better than that, or no one's going to see this. You know very clearly God's directed you to do something, live a certain way, and you consciously ignore it, some of you, trying to deceive the Lord, as if you didn't hear the instruction. We too are drawn to be dishonest within the community of church, the community of faith. In fact, that's a big one for, for churches because we don't know how to be vulnerable with each other. I think it goes back to our pronoun problem, trying to put up ourselves. What drives me crazy in the church in general is how many times I have been in what I thought was close relationship with someone only to get the conclusions and the consequences of their life, but never the journey. What do you mean that was going on? And you guys have been fighting for that many years and we were in a small group together and you never told us? You never trusted us with your real problem? So when we went around the room and said, how's your marriage? And you said it was great. You were dishonest. There's still dishonesty in the church. There's still a lack of vulnerability and trust. So I want you to, if there was one thing on this section I want you is just own where you are. I hope I give you some level of example that it's okay to be yourself and to be vulnerable. Just own where you are. Trust the church. Don't lie to God. Don't pretend you didn't hear what he told you to do or that you didn't sit under the sermon that spoke to the issue of your life. Just own where you are. And if where you are, you're not strong enough, boy, bring that to the church. Bring that to one another. Come get prayer because that's how we make progress in life and faith. But there's this final aspect I want you to see. It's important observation. It came late. It probably should have just been the whole sermon. 
I promise we're landing the plane soon. But I want you to notice, did you see Satan in this story? It's the first time Satan's brought up in the book of Acts. Do you see that from the very beginning of this new spirit-filled community, Satan found his way in? Satan wasn't out there. He showed up within. That's huge and significant. We've had two pretty big public sermons so far in the book of Acts. Satan doesn't come up once. Satan shows up in the community. Satan finds his way in to disrupt all this expression of being this new people. Because Satan's strategy is the same as it's always been. If I just get close to the people who know God the best and closest, we can spoil this from within. This is still the strategy. Satan seeks to destroy our solidarity. Satan wins when we declare, I can't sit next to that person or I can't belong to that community anymore because we, we vote differently. Satan wants to get in and destroy our solidarity. Satan wants to get in and destroy radical attitude of the church. It's what Pastor Jorge talked about. We just get us all comfortable enough and not actually live sacrificially, then we've lost our witness. Satan wants us to get so wrapped up in church business with one another that we forget that we have to be bold witnesses out there. So let's just play intramurals inside, and then I'll keep you out of the real game out there. Destroy the radical reorientation of the gospel. Make what is God's our Satan from the very beginning in the garden. It's not, it's not God's, it's yours. You can eat from that tree. It's not, that's your money. That's your home. That's not God's. Build up your own life. Make yourself the center of your life. This is the same old stuff, brothers and sisters. And so my, my encouragement, my exhortation to you and to me is wake up and be alert. Be alert that we want to have lots of conversations about how Satan's all going crazy out there and we need to tame him and his strategy is to get us focused on one another in here and to break this whole thing up from within. We have sermons to preach out there. We have them. Let's preach Acts chapter 2. Let's preach that sermon. Invite people into something beautiful, something true. But we have to be alert. And I have to say this to you. A tool of the enemy is going to make you believe that you don't belong here. That there's another church that is going to be able to meet your needs better. That I I used to think this was my place, but fill in the blank. To isolate us off. To feel like there's probably another place that would be better for me and my family. And I think there are times where God leads people to new seasons of other places. But if your leaving is connected to your not belonging, I'm just telling you, I think that's the enemy winning. We have a commonness. We have a witness. We have a radicalness. We have a view of life and money and one another that we have to fight to keep. This generous way of living is for our collective spiritual growth and health. Please don't view this church or me as a venue or an option. View one another as essential to your growth in Jesus. And recognize, be alert, 
that the enemy is going to be at work to try to say, I don't fit here, I don't belong here, I belong somewhere else. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, Father, I pray that the story that you are writing about Lake Avenue Church, that that story would be able to say with great truth and freedom, boy, that church was in one heart and one mind. Boy, that church was a group of people who didn't view what they had as their own, but for the benefit of the, the community. Oh, I pray, Lord, that the story of this church is that this is a church that boldly proclaims the name of Jesus in this world, doesn't spend all their time with church folk. Lord, I pray that the true story of this church would be one in which we learn to sacrificially trust you, yes, with our money, some with our time, some with our attitude. God, I pray that the prioritization of those in need will always drive us. God, I pray that there's lots of testimonies, just one-verse testimonies of, oh yeah, that person, they, they actually lived that way. They were faithful. Thank you for Barnabas that we can actually do this. God, I pray that for the temptation in each one of us to be Ananias and Sapphira, God, that we would recognize and wake up to the reality, one, of Satan's move, within us as a congregation, as a church. Two, that we would wake up to the truth that we cannot hide from you and we shouldn't even try. Three, that you would grow us, God, into a congregation that can handle each other's messiness. That we can, we can honor and walk with one another where we are. And we don't have to pretend or hide or, or lie. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond by singing this. Take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to me. Take our moments and our days, let them in ceaseless praise let them flow in ceaseless we belong we belong to you our Lord all we have all we are for your work and for your glory Our love, our Lord, we pour. 
As you head into this week, some of you need prayer. Some of you have a job interview or something, a medical appointment. Please don't leave without praying with someone either next to you, who you've come with, or we'll have people who want to pray with you up to my left. And maybe, maybe you've been burned at a church before or you're new to this, and I pray that what might be stirring in you is, man, I want to be a part of a group of people that have things in common. I want to be a part of a, a group of people that sacrificially live. And if you're not living that way within this church yet, we have people at our Connect banner who want to help you find that kind of relationship with one another. Thanks for being here today. I pray that this week you will be able to add your words to how Jeremy led us earlier, that your conversation next week would start with something like, this week in my time with Jesus, and you could share freely. So go now, go in peace, and live by faith. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit guide you in this life, this week everlasting. Amen. Have a wonderful week.